This was a tunnel about the size of a two-lane highway. Well, I, I had to go. And at the end of the tunnel were these two giant metal doors. I stepped in and immediately knew I was in a cavernous, just a giant area. From HV Studio, this is Unnerved. Welcome back to the Unnerved Podcast. It's where normal people share their abnormal stories. And if you enjoy true stories of the strange and terrifying, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Chris Fricky. Have you ever had the chance to watch The Back Rooms on YouTube? It's a series of realistic mazes, sometimes underground, that are discovered by unfortunate people. The mazes themselves are endless spaces of empty rooms where the visitor is alone and afraid, searching for an exit. But there's always something evil lurking and following this individual in the shadows. These videos, of course, are fictional, but what if a similar maze actually existed in our current reality underground? In today's story, John shares a discovery he found while camping in New Mexico that was meant to be left undisturbed. The secret that he found was not just an entry point to an underground world, but a mysterious element frozen in time. This is his story. My name is John. I am a contracted researcher for the military out here in New Mexico. My specialty is machine learning, deep uh, general AI theory and practice. Me and my colleagues, we basically run a team uh, out in New Mexico that takes the practice, the theory of machine learning, and puts it into the field. So we might take, uh, for instance, robotics. We work with the robotics team. We dump the software, the, uh, the instructions into the physical, uh, the physical entity, the robot, and the machine learns based upon our perimeters. That's the sort of research that we do. We have clearance. Um, again, I don't, I'm not a military person. I just have clearance to be on this base. And the area that I work in is called White Sands Missile Range. But it's not, it's not the missile range. Let me explain that real fast. White Sands Missile Range is a vast area. Um, it's so large that if you take the area of Delaware and uh, Rhode Island, it's actually a little bit larger than that than those combined. 
It has the missile range, and this is most famously known for testing Trinity, which is the atomic bomb, the first atomic bomb, in like the northern area of the range. And it's still used for testing. But the area is so large, it actually encompasses not only different research areas, but it also has um, a military, a large army base right in there. And within it, White Sands National Park and the San Andreas National Wildlife, Wildlife Refuge. And these, these areas are not remotely close to the testing site. You can't somehow wander in from, the, from White Sands, uh, the national park, into the testing site. That's impossible. It's impossible, A, because of the distance, and B, because highly guarded, highly fenced, you're just not going to be able to do it. My research area is not anywhere near the testing site. The land out there is dotted by several different research areas. So my area is gated. I can go in there. There's a few buildings, one-story buildings. It's not like a campus or anything like that. There are campuses of research, but you see that mostly in uh, Los Alamos. This area is just sporadic. A few scientists coming in and out, some military personnel, if they're looking at our designs or something like that. And then we're out there by ourselves, and we're quite a bit away from any city or any town. Las Cruces is 50 or something miles from my actual research area, and that's a southern area of New Mexico. Well, we get bored out there. There's not a lot going on. And we're at the base. We're, at, we're out there all the time, almost 24-7. And if you know anything about southern New Mexico... It's one of the best stargazing areas for continental United States. In fact, it's also for noise pollution, one of the quietest areas in the continental U.S. So it, White Sands brings, the national park brings out a ton of sky gazers and, you know, lovers of nature, wildlife refuge and whatnot. And I love that too. And so me and some of the colleagues sometimes, if we're working weekends, have some time on our hands, we'll go hiking back there. I take walks all the time in the little forested area next to my research stations. I'm not on the sands. The topography of the area is it's really different. It's not just sands or dunes. It's also southern uh, mountainous terrain, pine trees and whatnot. So I take quite a, a few uh, walks out there during my days, and then on the weekends, sometimes we take long backpacking trips and be gone all weekend, camp out there. There's no issues there. Federal land, and we've got our um, clearance. I map my trails because there's no trail like you'd see in a national park or a national forest. It's just wilderness. It's not cleared by a ranger or anything like that. And I map it with GPS, and so I know where I am. And I'm not I'm comfortable with where I am enough to where I'm not too worried about getting lost. I'm actually more worried about mountain lions because there's bear, black bear, mountain lion. One day, I was out there walking. I planned on being out there all weekend. I was going to stargaze and just set up my tent and get away from life. And I was roughly... 15 miles, actually I know exactly how far I was, it was about 14.2 miles back in the back country and you know, you have to bushwhack back there you have machete and grass can get real high so you're sort of making your own trail maybe following an animal trail 
and I had gone into the forest to get some shade. I was a little bit deeper in there. And there are a few widow makers, which are trees that are dead that call them widow makers because if you're not paying attention in one of those falls, it's gonna, it can kill you pretty easily. So I'm down back there and uh, I, there's a downed branch, a downed tree actually, in my path. And this is the way I want to go because it slopes up to my right and I don't want to go into the ridges area. That's dangerous. It slopes to my left. It becomes more of a plains area. So I'm sort of on the, uh, on the edge there of the forest. And I dipped under this tree. It was being sort of propped up by a, a live tree. And as I'm doing that, I'm watching my footing and I look at the ground and right underneath that is a manhole. And it's covered with some dirt and whatnot, but this this there wasn't it wasn't overgrown underneath these trees. The canopy wasn't allowing for high grass in that area. It's more like it was almost muddy. And I was immediately perplexed by this. I got out from under the canopy a little bit and started looking at the ground more thoroughly to see if I could find a road, a jeep trail. Because it made no sense that this manhole was that far out without there being some sort of road. I was like, well, is this area overgrown? How old? My mind immediately started going, started ticking. Like, why is this out here? Is there sewage below me? But where would the sewage be coming from? And why would it be flowing through here? It, none of it made sense. But again, I just sort of was like, okay, maybe there's sewage down here. And I looked at the manhole, and if you've ever seen manholes, you look up close, they have like a, uh, oh, a keyhole, and a special key has to go in there to pry them open. And then they're heavy, you're crazy heavy. And some of them are 150 pounds or something like that. Well, this one looked like it was open, like I could actually pull it open. And sure enough, I could. And the way I knew that was that I just sort of jiggled it and got my hand into the hole and I was like, oh, this thing can open. It's heavy, but it's not locked. And I had my hiking poles, and those hiking poles are sturdy. And I was just too curious of why is this out here? So I pried it open. I bent my hiking pole in order to get it open. I finally got it open and pulled it up. And I had, at this time, I was getting close to needing the camp because I'd been out there for a long time. It takes a long time to walk that. And I had my headlamp out so it wouldn't get dark on me without me uh, having some sort of light source. And when I looked down, there was a ladder, which you would expect, a small tunnel to go down. Couldn't see what was at the end of the ladder or how deep it was. Well, I, I had to go. I just, I was just too curious. I was like, what, what is this? So I went down and the ladder went about, it was a long ladder, it was longer than I thought it was, probably, oh, 20, maybe even 30 feet. And as I descended, I couldn't see anything. So I immediately was kind of gripping that ladder pretty hard as my curiosity got the best of me and also as my anxiety rose a little bit. I got down to the bottom of this thing, and I immediately knew it was a tunnel. Shine my light to the left, to the right, north and south. I knew I was. I knew which way was north because at the top of the ladder, I, I knew I was facing north. So I knew which way was north, and my light 
even on the high beam, it just, you know, it goes some roughly tw- in, in pitch blackness. You got maybe probably not even 20 feet, 15 feet in front of you of, of light. And on, you know, where the ladder was, that was a wall, smooth, concrete, but real smooth. Underneath me, concrete, real smooth. And then on the other side, I could barely make out the other wall. And it was roughly the size, the tunnel, about the size of a two-lane highway. High ceilings and a rounded. It didn't have a smell outside of it, just slightly industrial, but I didn't smell any sort of exhaust didn't smell any any fumes or oils or anything like that. And so I decided to walk. I'm going to walk north and just see what this is. It's pitch black. Now walking uh, parallel to the right wall with my hand, my right hand on the wall. And the whole time I'm walking, I'm going very slow. I'm feeling for any other ladders or anything that might give me a sense of space and i'm also in my head thinking what did i stumble upon this is a tunnel clearly meant for transportation vehicle transportation it's not sewer it's clean my mind is going underground base bunkers research station i don't know pitch black and if you've ever been in tunnels the first thing i start thinking is the house is ventilated and that's sort of an unusual thing to not smell exhaust unless trucks just don't go through there. Well, tunnels are ventilated in different ways, but a shorter tunnel, basically it's almost like a vacuum. It's pushed, pressure is pushed in from uh, one end, southern end, gets pulled through by the trucks, um, aerodynamics pulls it in. And then at the other end, it's pushed up with fans up and ventilated outside. They don't all have that sort of ventilation, but I was thinking about ventilation I was going through there because I didn't smell anything. Carbon dioxide doesn't have a smell, you know, so I'd be worried about that. But other than sort of working out the logistics of it, the physics of it, I wasn't too worried about that. So I just kept going and I walked for 20, 25 minutes. I know that, oh, by the way, my cell phone was completely out of commission. There was no bars. There was no GPS. It was, once I descended on that ladder, only a, even a, just a few feet, it all cut out. So I knew how long I had walked only by the time I spent in there. And because of my pace, I estimate that I walked roughly a thousand meters, which is about half a mile in one direction. And after 25 minutes or so, getting a little bit paranoid, is that truck gonna come? I get run over or personnel going to come in there. I was already justifying it by telling them immediately, I've got clearance and I'm on my own property here. I'm just checking this place out. There's no reason to lie about any of that. And then I came to the end of the tunnel. And at the end of the tunnel were these two giant metal doors. They looked like barn doors, except they were metal and not and they had that same sort of bolt action lock except they didn't have a padlock or anything else on these doors what is this place some sort of loading station what are they, what's behind these doors and why is it there security I had not seen any evidence of security the whole time even though my light didn't shine the, the tunnel very well so I looked all around the doors and there was one camera that was on top 
these stations have tons of cameras and research stations. They all generally look the same. Uh, newer cameras that can be very small, you can't see them, to anything that's like a, a door camera that might be sort of white and small, um, oblong shape or whatnot, or whatnot. This was like a bulky, it had a bulky case and looked like something you'd see in the 80s, maybe the 90s that closed circuit television camera. There's no blinking light. And sort of thinking about it, I was like, there's no power down here, obviously. And I wonder if I can open this door. I see no padlock. That that camera's not on. And I just decided I was gonna open it. Foolish, yes. But again, if you do any urban exploration, I love urban exploration, you just curiosity killed the cat here. So I I bolted, unbolted the lock and it worked. There was no other mechanism. And I started prying open the doors. They were creaky, but they, and they were heavy, very heavy, but they, you know, swung easily out. There's a bolt on the bottom of the doors. Um, so you can, like, you know, bolt the doors into the ground. And sure enough, at, at the, um, as the door swung open to like a, a 90 degree angle to the to the wall, there's the hole in order to bolt it through. And so I just swung one open and bolted it and peeked inside. And I stepped in and immediately knew I was in a cavernous, just a giant area. It felt large and spacious. Couldn't see anything in there. And I stepped in a few steps, looking behind me, making sure there's just no trucks coming or whatnot. And in front of me, I could barely make out this, these designs, uh, these edges of something in there. And there was to the left and to the right of me, and sort of a, a path in the middle, large path, let's say 20 feet wide. Couldn't, I didn't see any forklifts or any other equipment you'd see in a warehouse, but I imagine they were there. I just didn't see the loading area or whatnot. So I step in there and I come up on these boxes, crates, I don't even know what to call them, on my right. I check out the ones on my right first. And they're stacked up like you'd see in a warehouse, but it's very orderly. A lot of warehouses aren't orderly at all. You know, they had leaning towers of crates. This was the opposite. These were very well stacked, and some some of them were, I would say, eight feet high, but only in maybe three of these crates. The crates were the size, the largest ones were the size of like a dinner table, a dining table. Uh, so maybe three feet high, you know, eight feet wide or long, three feet wide, something like that. And there would be maybe one or two stacked together, and then at the other end of them, you might have a couple that were, uh, a few that were the size of like a large briefcase um, stacked up. But orderly, they had space between them. Obviously, if a forklift needed to get in there, they could get in, pull them out. The first unusual thing I noticed about them was that my light reflected really well off of them. If you've ever seen silver, it's a weird property your light will reflect off silver, but it also absorbs it. 
And so you get this weird, and especially in liquid silver, you get this sort of weird dark silver where the light doesn't penetrate or doesn't doesn't uh, reflect back at you in every area. It just sort of, uh, it's just hard to describe what this is like, but that's exactly what these crates look like. They didn't shine back the way it would shine on metal or tin or something like that. It shined almost in a liquidy form, but it was, it was a clear, it had clear dimensions, it was a clear solid. I just, I needed to know what these things were, but I, what I couldn't see on them, and I, I had to look at the smaller ones for this, ones that are roughly the size of suitcases stacked up. And I could see the top of one because the stacks weren't too high. I was looking for any sort of latch handles. There was nothing. There wasn't even a a, a lid. It just was a a box, a crate. Um, it seemed to have no opening. I had no idea what they were. And I walked a little bit down this path, and I never. When I say I walked, I'm talking to like kept my sort of my. My, myself to the right side like I did in the tunnel feel and see these boxes and I probably walked for five minutes in one direction and could never saw the end of this thing and was more paranoid at this moment than I ever was in the tunnel because the door from where I had entered it disappeared almost immediately once I turned my light away from it so you know, 10 feet into there, I couldn't see the doors because there's no light coming from the tunnels. So I was really paranoid that I, well, what if I get lost in this area? That actually could be trouble. It's not, it's not a point A to point B, a straight line the way that tunnel was. So I was getting nervous about that, but I was just too curious about what this area was. And I finally decided to sort of get back in those crates a little bit towards the smaller ones and just try and lift one to try and pry one open with my hands I wasn't going to break into them the first thing I noticed was that they're cool to the touch and I mean cooler than the outside of the room temperature much cooler they weren't cold but the longer I laid my hand on it the more I was like this is feels like this has some sort of source that would keep it this cool what is keeping them this cool and it didn't you know if you put your hand on something say a, a cold water bottle eventually that water bottle the heat is going to transfer to that water bottle at a slow rate depending on how cold it is in the, in the surface area but you're going to heat up that water bottle enough to where it sort of gets to the same temperature as your body it didn't do that the longer i kept my hands on them it just stayed the same the same temperature which is an odd physics chemical reaction things don't work that way really unless you can't transfer enough heat right so a block of ice you're not going to heat up that block of ice with your hand and it was like that i tried to go ahead and lift one of these smaller ones up and just didn't budge it and when i say I didn't budge i mean i pushed on it i pulled on it i sort of tried to lift it from the bottom just didn't budge it i mean these things weighed i i mean literally probably weighed a ton and that was the smaller ones I, I wouldn't doubt the larger ones the ones that were some of them as large as a dining room table large dining room table or so maybe as even as large as like a small living room i mean who knows those things could have been 10 tons for all i know 20 tons i, I was getting creeped out pretty quickly so after i explored it for 15-ish minutes or so 
I crept my way back out of there and closed the door behind me and then walked, you know, this time, of course, I'm going the opposite direction. So I put my left shoulder to the wall, my left hand, and just walked back. I never saw any floodlights on the ground, which that is unusual. Like, the rest of it sort of made sense for how tunnels are built and what might be going on, uh, transportation. But why wouldn't there be floodlights? I got the sense that this place had been built quite a while ago, but that didn't really explain why there weren't floodlights. And I still don't have an explanation for that. So I, I get back out there. And I climb back up, I put the manhole back in place, and I set up my tent. I actually went down about a quarter of a mile away because I didn't want to be too close to that area. I just wasn't sure if anybody ever came over there. And the next day came, I, you know, did my thing, I left, and I kept thinking about, I was like, what was this place? Why was the security the way it is? And to back up a little bit, you can't get in there from a public area. From where I was, the boundary to this large area was, the shortest boundary from where I was was probably 30 miles to a fence. And on the other side of that fence, which is public land, no road was there for about another 20 miles. So you would have to, to even get to the fence, you were, day, you were, you were camping. And then once you get to the fence, it's federal land, there's signs, no trespassing you know, fine of whatever it is, $10,000 in two years in jail or something like that. So it's it's protected. But I did find that unusual. Like, was this manhole abandoned? Is, and the first thing I thought was that it was supposed to have been sealed after the completion of this tunnel. But the tunnel was built, like a lot of this, these stations, was built during the Cold War, World War II. And... It just never got sealed that they had been using this for workers coming in and out of that area. There had been an old road there, and just for whatever reason, no one ever sealed it up. Well, I decided I had to go back. So a few weeks later, I, I went back, and I knew exactly where it was. And when I got back there, there was a large fence. I know I was in the same area because I had mapped it on my GPS. And the fence was not a normal fence the way you might just see on some of these properties um, at the very back, it's just a tall fence. This was one of those with the, the razor wire at the top. And it was, it encompassed probably, I would estimate 40 square meters or something like that. So it wasn't just around the manhole. In fact, I couldn't see the manhole from the fence. Razor wire with signs, you know, federal property, the penalties and whatnot. There was no gate to it. So I immediately knew that that was not a coincidence. However, I don't know how they saw me. And if it came from that camera, there was no indication of, of electricity there. 
or you know some sort of closed circuit television thing. Maybe there was a, a loading area in which that equipment was set up and running, but I get the feeling that there was some other way in which they tracked me there. I never got a phone call about it. In fact, when I saw that that fence, I walked way back. I walked probably roughly, I think, five miles back and, and risked being in the dark some because I just wanted out of there. I did not want this to be a problem. Uh, camped, and the next morning went back to the research station. I never got a phone call about it. No one ever came and saw me or anything. I know emails. And either they never recognized me, the other alternative is sheer coincidence, which I don't believe that. The third thing is that they, they just didn't want to have to deal with whatever it was they would have to deal with by confronting me. And again, though, I've got clearance, so I didn't really, so I didn't break and enter or anything like that. I wasn't really worried about it simply because I, have a ranking that's higher than anyone else that's going to go out there for the most part. Being inside that warehouse was not a good idea. That could have actually got me in trouble. And I've only had this discussion very recently with one other colleague. I kept it to myself. And he is like me, just we're scientists or engineers who are just intensely interested in this type of stuff wants to go and see it. But of course, we can't actually go down there now. The thing is though, is that that tunnel had to come out somewhere from the southern end, obviously. I've never seen anything indicating a tunnel, a gated entrance, sealed off entrance, nothing like that. Of course, the area is huge and have no idea how long that tunnel was, a you know, completed tunnel. I walked one way for roughly a half a mile. Was it another half mile the other way? Was it two miles, five miles? I don't know. My colleague and I want to go out there and see if we can just find the other end of this tunnel, see if it's sealed off, is it gated, is there a guard? I don't know if we're going to try and get back in there. That's sort of risky. The feeling I got in there was that they weren't ammunition boxes. They weren't, it wasn't artillery. That wouldn't make any sense for the way these boxes were created. There was no hand, you know, sensor there to, so, to open them only with a fingerprint or something like that. I didn't see anything like that. As ridiculous as this sounds, if you remember the old cartoon, Transformers cartoon from the 80s, the Autobots and the Decepticons were always fighting over Energon, which were these cubes that gave them energy. That's what they actually look like, which is, I know it sounds ridiculous, and I'm not saying that's what they were, and that would be ridiculous, but because I have no, I have no context or no, nothing to compare them to, some sort of solid silvery substance that, with no um, enter point, no exit point, no handles, um, I just don't, I don't know how else to describe them. It's super heavy. And I want my co I want to bring in my colleague in there who's, you know, who's going to offer a different perspective simply because I want some sort of explanation as to what these things are. But as of now, I, um, I can't even really guess. 
And I also don't understand the security of it. The only thing I can come up with is that manhole was supposed to be sealed. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if you got into that fence now, that manhole, I bet you anything it is now sealed off. One can't help but wonder, what is the military hiding? What mysterious element did John discover that seemed to be forgotten in time? And why did they go to such lengths to keep it secret? The tunnel that John discovered is a prime example of what the military is capable of doing. Even though many of these tunnels are still under complete lockdown, not all of them have been kept hidden from the public. A secret tunnel underneath a secret city. There have been rumors for decades about mysterious activity in a man-made cave hundreds of feet beneath Los Alamos. Well, the rumors are true. There is a tunnel. It's been whispered about for more than 60 years. They would keep gold in there. That's all I, I remember people saying. Something secret in the Los Alamos Canyon. I've heard about it, yes. But I don't heard know. about it. Just that it exists. There was a, a rumor that there was a, a train in here because when you were up on top, you could hear sort of uh, strange noises. The stories of what was buried in the canyon were endless. And unless you worked at the National Lab, it's remained one of the best kept secrets in New Mexico since the 1940s. The public has not been in this vault. There's been um, no media ever in this vault. Until now, our cameras were given the very first look inside the carved out canyon rock. We are going in about 230 feet. Some call it the invisible tunnel. Very few people knew it actually existed, even though it sits in the heart of the city. Today, a popular city landmark marks the spot. We're pretty much underneath the McDonald's parking lot. Right in the center of Los Alamos, hundreds of feet below ground. The tunnel was built just as the Cold War began. The year was 1948. The atomic bomb is very dangerous. Since it may be used against us, we must get ready for it. A history lesson today, but in the late 40s and 50s at the height of the Cold War, the threat of a nuclear strike was very much a reality. The entire town of Los Alamos was off limits back then. Visitors needed a government pass to enter and exit. And a lot of the 1950s buildings here in Los Alamos were designed with fallout shelters. The tunnel was built to serve as a safe haven in case of nuclear war. But in the meantime, lab scientists worked down here in secrecy, studying and developing new weapons like the hydrogen bomb. And this underground tunnel was the first place in the country to store the parts for those weapons. In the early earliest years of the Cold War, they didn't have a facility for that. So this vault was built specifically for those pits. Los Alamos Canyon provided the perfect hiding place. Because of the of the, um, the cliffs that we have here, the volcanic tuff and, and, and the setup with the canyon walls. Plutonium pits and other weapons parts were flown into Albuquerque's Kirtland Air Force Base, then transported to Los Alamos and driven straight into the tunnel. It's a vault within a vault. The materials were stored in these five vaulted rooms. The federal government only recently declassified the tunnel because some of the old weapons parts remained in the vault as recently as last fall. Lab experts used them as teaching tools in the post-Cold War era. 
But Lanel historian Ellen McGee says the weapons parts kept here were so secret, they are still considered classified information today. No one could come down the canyon, so this was a top secret and very heavily guarded facility. The guards and weapons are now gone, and all that remains is an empty shell. But historians say the tunnel vault is still valuable for future generations. This tunnel in Los Alamos is roughly five hours north of White Sands Missile Range. But the tunnel itself proves that this type of tunneling system is not impossible to keep hidden from the public, even for 60 years. In this case, plutonium metal and nuclear technology were the main secrets they were hiding. Now, I'm not a scientist, clearly, and I'm not saying that plutonium is the mysterious metal that John found, but the fact remains that the military is clearly capable of successfully hiding large tunnels as well as keeping whatever may be kept in them completely secret. After looking into this topic more and more, one name kept popping up. A man by the name of Phil Schneider. Phil claimed to be a U.S. government geologist and engineer who was involved in the construction of multiple deep underground military bases. Some believe that Phil's testimony was full of wild conspiracies and fabrications, lacking facts and verifiable information. And honestly, I also can't help but question some of his theories regarding underground alien civilizations and the injuries he received from an underground firefight in Dulce, New Mexico. But regardless of that, Phil's insight on secretive military tunnels is enough to make you question what is actually happening beneath us. Right now, there are 131 active deep underground military bases in the United States. There's 1,477 of them worldwide. Each one has an average cost of 17 to 19 billion dollars. Each one is uh, built in the site. Uh, oh, it used to be it'd take a year to two years to build each one, and now they're capable of building a couple of them a year uh, with sophisticated methods. My colleague uh, Al Bielik has actually been on some of the high-speed railways, uh, the magneto-leviton trains that connect all the deep underground military bases within the United States. He's been on a Mach 2 train and floats off of, floats off of a single rail at a, a three-quarters of an inch off the rail and is uh, what you'd call high-tech. We have nothing like this on the surface. Groom Lake is where the infamous Area 51, S4, S2, a CIA base. Uh, uh, it was originally a bombing range, a nuclear test site. Uh, it was later become the most secret base in the United States. Um, it employs over 18,000 workers who work in shifts of 12 hours a, at a whack. Most of them work in the cover of darkness, like us. We built out nine underground military bases there, each with an average uh, 
uh, capacity, capable was uh, basically a city underground, roughly four and a quarter cubic miles hollowed out underground. Now, boring machines, for instance, they don't bore. They literally vitrify and melt the rock, deflagrate the rock. It's a very sophisticated laser uh, uh, melting and deflagrating system. It reduces the rock to a powder and then melts the the remaining rock is a coating on the inside of the base, so you don't have to use gunite, cements, and other kinds of things like that. That's all old hat now. Uh, technology is just basically the new technology we get is the old hat of the military. I want to be real brief about it. I carried a level one security clearance, the Rylite 38 Factor. There are very few of us. There's nobody except myself, to my knowledge, talking like this. Nobody. I'm breaking the law. I'm breaking world as well as federal law, coming out and even talking about this to a group of people. I love my country more than I love my life. Area 51 is only one base, one of the 131 bases. Of these 131 bases, I call Area 51 a mega base. It's got more than one base in it. It's Tonopah Test Range, Area 51, S2, S4, Groom Lake, and a host of others. These mega bases are gobbling up our gross national product. Right now we're spending 28% of the gross national product on building underground bases solely. That doesn't count for the defense budget. That doesn't count for the spare parts budget. It doesn't count for any of that at all. And the black budget is dead, dead wrong. It sidesteps the United States Congress and its constitution of its people and says you're a bunch of morons you don't need to know. Now I believe in military preparedness. I believe in military secrecy to some extent. The overview is about underground mountain bases. All of them should be made public. In future talks, I'll be giving latitudes and longitudes of every single one of these bases. I've already written a manuscript at the publisher as we speak. Phil not only claimed to be involved in these projects, but he also claimed that the government had attempted to assassinate him multiple times for releasing this information. The lecture you just heard was recorded at the Preparedness Expo in September of 1995. Bill Schneider was found dead four months later in January of 1996. The story he told may not seem plausible to everyone, but his death was highly suspicious. His cause of death was at first marked as unknown, even though he had a medical tube tied around his neck. There was no suicide note, and he was found in an odd position on the floor. It wasn't by hanging or anything that would keep the pressure on his throat. Also, the police claimed that they didn't find anything wrapped around his neck. But photos taken at the morgue clearly show a medical tube tied 
around his neck. The examiner took blood and urine samples, but refused to test them, saying it would be a waste of time. Family protested and told him to do it anyway. Reluctantly, the two samples were sent in to an independent lab. And when the family asked for the results of the samples to see if he was drugged, no results could be found, and the samples had mysteriously gone missing. All of his research, notes, pictures, recordings, and lectures suddenly went missing from his house. And then, an obituary was posted in the local paper about Phil's death, claiming he died of natural causes. Nobody in his immediate family wrote that obituary or gave permission to print it. Phil's story, whether fact or fiction, is a large rabbit hole that you're welcome to dive into. But it shouldn't take away from the fact that we know what our military and government are capable of. The underground tunnel that John discovered at White Sands Missile Range, with its mysterious metal-like substance, is just another example of a real tunnel that our government doesn't want us to know about. The things we fear are typically above the surface, while the world beneath our feet is almost completely unknown. It begs the question, what's truly beneath us? Thanks again for listening to Unnerved. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. It truly does help, and I really appreciate it. And if you guys want to see photos related to each episode, again, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Unnerved Podcast. Until next time, take care. This is a tunnel about the size of a two-lane highway. Well, I, I had to go. And at the end of the tunnel were these two giant metal doors. I stepped in and immediately knew I was in a cavernous, just a giant area. From HV Studio, this is Unnerved. Welcome back 
to the Unnerved Podcast. It's where normal people share their abnormal stories. And if you enjoy true stories of the strange and terrifying, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Chris Fricky. Have you ever had the chance to watch The Back Rooms on YouTube? It's a series of realistic mazes, sometimes underground, that are discovered by unfortunate people. The mazes themselves are endless spaces of empty rooms where the visitor is alone and afraid, searching for an exit. But there's always something evil lurking and following this individual in the shadows. These videos, of course, are fictional, but what if a similar maze actually existed in our current reality underground? In today's story, John shares a discovery he found while camping in New Mexico that was meant to be left undisturbed. The secret that he found was not just an entry point to an underground world, but a mysterious element frozen in time. This is his story. My name is John. I am a contracted researcher for the military out here in New Mexico. My specialty is machine learning, deep uh, general AI theory and practice. Me and my colleagues, we basically run a team uh, out in New Mexico that takes the practice, the theory of machine learning and puts it into the field. So we might take, uh, for instance, robotics. We work with the robotics team. We dump the software, the, uh, the instructions into the physical, uh, the physical entity, the robot, and the machine learns based upon our perimeters. That's the sort of research that we do. We have clearance. Um, again, I don't, I'm not a military person. I just have clearance to be on this base. And the area that I work in is called White Sands Missile Range. But it's not, it's not the missile range. Let me explain that real fast. White Sands Missile Range is a vast area. Um, it's so large that if you take the area of Delaware and uh, Rhode Island, it's actually a little bit larger than that than those combined. It has the missile range, and this is most famously known for testing Trinity, which is the atomic bomb, the first atomic bomb in like the northern area of the range. And it's still used for testing. But the area is so large, it actually encompasses not only different research areas, but it also has um, a military, a large army base right in there. And within it, White Sands National Park and the San Andreas National Wildlife Wildlife Refuge. And these, these areas are not remotely close to the testing site. You can't somehow wander in from the, from White Sands, uh, the national park, into the testing site. That's impossible. It's impossible, A, because of the distance, and B, because 
highly guarded, highly fenced, you're just not going to be able to do it. My research area is not anywhere near the testing site. The land out there is dotted by several different research areas. So my area is gated. I can go in there. There's a few buildings, one-story buildings. It's not like a campus or anything like that. There are campuses of research, but you see that mostly in uh, Los Alamos. This area is just sporadic. A few scientists coming in and out, some military personnel, if they're looking at our designs or something like that. And then we're out there by ourselves, and we're quite a bit away from any city or any town. Las Cruces is 50 or something miles from my actual research area, and that's a southern area of New Mexico. Well, we get bored out there. There's not a lot going on. And we're at the base. We're out, we're out there all the time, almost 24-7. And if you know anything about southern New Mexico, it's one of the best stargazing areas for continental United States. In fact, it's also for noise pollution, one of the quietest areas in the continental U.S. So it, White Sands brings, the national park brings out a ton of sky gazers and you know, lovers of nature, wildlife refuge and whatnot. And I love that too. And so me and some of the colleagues sometimes, if we're working weekends, have some time on our hands, we'll go hiking back there. I take walks all the time in the little forested area next to my research stations. I'm not on the sands. The topography of the area is it's really different. It's not just sands or dunes. It's also southern um, mountainous terrain pine trees and whatnot. So I take quite a, a few uh, walks out there during my days. And then on the weekends, sometimes we take long backpacking trips and be gone all weekend, camp out there. There's no issues there. Federal land, and we've got our um, clearance. I map my trails because there's no trail like you'd see in a national park or a national forest. It's just wilderness. It's not cleared by a ranger or anything like that. And I map it with GPS, and so I know where I am, and I'm not I'm comfortable with where I am enough to where I'm not too worried about getting lost. I'm actually more worried about mountain lions because there's bear, black bear, mountain lion. One day, I was out there walking. I planned on being out there all weekend. I was going to stargaze and just set up my tent and get away from life. And I was roughly... 15 miles, actually I know exactly how far I was, it was about 14.2 miles back in the back country and you know, you have to bushwhack back there you have a machete and grass can get real high so you're sort of making your own trail maybe following an animal trail and I had gone into the forest to get some shade I was a little bit deeper in there and there are a few widow makers which are trees that are dead that call them widow makers because if you're not paying attention and one of those falls it's gonna, it can kill you pretty easily so I'm down back there, and uh, I, there's a downed branch, a downed tree, actually, in my path. And this is the way I want to go because it slopes up to my right, and I don't want to go into the ridges area. That's dangerous. It slopes to my left. It becomes more of a plains area. So I'm sort of on the, uh, on the edge there of the forest. And I dipped under this tree. It was being sort of propped up by a, a live tree. And as I'm doing that, I'm watching my footing and I look at the ground and right underneath that, 
is a manhole, and it's covered with some dirt and whatnot. But this, this, there wasn't, it wasn't overgrown underneath these trees. The canopy wasn't allowing for high grass in that area. It was more like it was almost muddy. And I was immediately perplexed by this. I got out from under the canopy a little bit and started looking at the ground more thoroughly to see if I could find a road, a jeep trail. Because it made no sense that this manhole was that far out without there being some sort of road. I was like, well, is this area overgrown? How old? My mind immediately started going, started ticking. Like, why is this out here? Is there sewage below me? But where would the sewage be coming from? And why would it be flowing through here? None of it made sense. But again, I just sort of was like, okay, maybe there's sewage down here. And I looked at the manhole, and if you've ever seen manholes, you look up close, they have like a, uh, oh, a keyhole, and a special key has to go in there to pry them open. And then they're heavy, you're crazy heavy. And some of them are 150 pounds or something like that. Well, this one looked like it was open, like I could actually pull it open. And sure enough, I could. And the way I knew that was that I just sort of jiggled it and got my hand into the hole. And I was like, oh, this thing's going to open. It's heavy, but it's not locked. And I had my hiking poles, and those hiking poles are sturdy. And I was just too curious of why is this out here? So I pried it open. I bent my hiking pole in order to get it open. I finally got it open and pulled it up. And I had, at this time, I was getting close to needing the camp because I'd been out there for a long time. It takes a long time to walk that. And I had my headlamp out so it wouldn't get dark on me without me uh, having some sort of light source. And when I looked down, there was a ladder, which you would expect, a small tunnel to go down. Couldn't see what was at the end of the ladder or how deep it was. Well, I, I had to go. I just... I was just too curious. I was like, what, what is this? So I went down, and the ladder went about, it was a long ladder. It was longer than I thought it was, probably, oh, 20, maybe even 30 feet. And as I descended, I couldn't see anything. So I immediately was kind of gripping that ladder pretty hard as my curiosity got the best of me and also as my anxiety rose a little bit I got down to the bottom of this thing and I immediately knew it was a tunnel shine my light to the left to the right north and south I knew I was I knew which way was north because at the top of the ladder I I knew I was facing north so I knew which way was north and my light even on the high beam, it just, you know, it goes some roughly tw in, in pitch blackness. you got maybe, probably not even 20 feet, 15 feet in front of you of, of light. And on, you know, where the ladder was, that was a wall, smooth, concrete, but real smooth. Underneath me, concrete, real smooth. And then on the other side, I could barely make out the other wall. And it was roughly the size, the tunnel, about the size of a two-lane highway. High ceilings and a rounded. It didn't have a smell outside of it, just slightly industrial, but I didn't smell any sort of exhaust. I didn't smell any, any fumes or oils or anything like that. And so I decided to walk. I was like, I'm going to walk north and just see what this is. It's pitch black. 
I'm walking uh, parallel to the right wall with my hand, my right hand on the wall. And the whole time I'm walking, I'm going very slow. I'm feeling for any other ladders or anything that might give me a sense of space. And I'm also in my head thinking, what did I stumble upon? This is a tunnel clearly meant for transportation, vehicle transportation. It's not sewer. It's clean. My mind is going underground base, bunkers, research station. I don't know. Pitch black. And if you've ever been in tunnels, the first thing I start thinking of is, how is this ventilated? And that's sort of an unusual thing to not smell exhaust unless trucks just don't go through there. Well, tunnels are ventilated in different ways, but a shorter tunnel, basically it's almost like a vacuum. It's pushed, pressure is pushed in from uh, one end, southern end, gets pulled through by the trucks, um, aerodynamics sort of pulls it in. And then at the other end, it's pushed up with fans up and ventilated outside. They don't all have that sort of ventilation, but I was thinking about ventilation I was going through there because I didn't smell anything. Carbon dioxide doesn't have a smell, you know. Should I be worried about that? But other than sort of working out the logistics of it, the physics of it, I wasn't too worried about that. So I kept going and I walked for 20, 25 minutes. I know that, oh, by the way, my cell phone was completely out of commission. There was no bars. There was no GPS. It was, once I descended that ladder, only a, even a, just a few feet, it all cut out. So I knew how long I had walked only by the time I spent in there. And because of my pace, I estimate that I walked roughly a thousand meters, which is about half a mile in one direction. And after 20, five minutes or so, getting a little bit paranoid. Is that truck gonna come? I need to run over, or personnel gonna come in there? I was already justifying it by telling them immediately, I've got clearance and I'm on my own property here. I'm just checking this place out. There's no reason to lie about any of that. And then I came to the end of the tunnel. And at the end of the tunnel were these two giant metal doors. They looked like barn doors, except they were metal and not wood. And they had that same sort of bolt-action lock, except they didn't have a padlock or anything else on these doors. What is this place? Some sort of loading station? What are they, what's behind these doors? And why is it there security? I had not seen any evidence of security the whole time, even though my light didn't shine the, the tunnel very well. So I looked all around the doors, and there was one camera that was on top. These stations have tons of cameras, the research stations, and they all generally look the same. Uh, newer cameras that can be very small, you can't see them, to anything that's like a, a door camera that might be sort of white and small, um, oblong shape or whatnot, or whatnot. This was like a bulky, it had a bulky case and looked like something you'd see in the 80s, maybe the 90s, that closed circuit television camera. There's no blinking light. And sort of thinking, about it, I was like, there's no power down here, obviously. And I wonder if I can open this door. I see no padlock. That, that camera's not on. And I just decided I was going to open it. Foolish, yes. But again, if you do any urban exploration, I love urban exploration, you just curiosity killed the cat here. So I 
unbol- I bolted, unbolted the lock, and it worked. There was no other mechanism. And I started prying open the doors. They were creaky, but they and they were heavy, very heavy. But they, you know, swung easily out. There was a bolt on the bottom of the doors, um, so you can like, you know, bolt the doors into the ground. And sure enough, at at the um, as the door swung open to like a a ninety degree angle to the to the wall, there's the hole in order to bolt it through. And so I just swung one open and bolted it and peeked inside. And I stepped in and immediately knew I was in a cavernous, just a giant area. It felt large and spacious. Couldn't see anything in there. And I stepped in a few steps, looking behind me, making sure there's just no trucks coming or whatnot. And in front of me, I could barely make out this, these designs, uh, these edges of something in there. And there was to the left and to the right of me, sort of a, a path in the middle, large path, let's say 20 feet wide. Couldn't, I didn't see any forklifts or any other equipment you'd see in a warehouse, but I imagine they were there. I just didn't see the loading area or whatnot. So I step in there, and I come up on these boxes, crates, I don't even know what to call them, on my right. I check out the ones on my right first. And they're stacked up like you'd see in a warehouse, but it's very orderly. A lot of warehouses aren't orderly at all. You know, they had leaning towers of crates. This was the opposite. These were very well stacked, and some some of them were, I would say, eight feet high, but only in maybe three of these crates. The crates were the size, the largest ones were the size of like a dinner table, a dining table. Uh, so maybe three feet high, you know, eight feet wide or long, three feet wide, something like that. And there would be maybe one or two stacked together, and then at the other end of them, you might have a couple that were, uh, a few that were the size of like a large briefcase um, stacked up. But orderly, they had space between them. Obviously, if a forklift needed to get in there, they could get in, pull them out. The first unusual thing I noticed about them was that my light reflected really well off of them. If you've ever seen silver, it's a weird property. Your light will reflect off silver, but it also absorbs it. And so you get this weird, and especially in liquid silver, you get this sort of weird dark silver where the light doesn't penetrate or doesn't doesn't uh, reflect back at you in every area. It just sort of, uh, it's just hard to describe what this is like, but that's exactly what these crates look like. They didn't shine back the way it would shine on metal or tin or something like that. It shined almost in a liquidy form, but it was, it was a clear, it had clear dimensions, it was a clear solid. I just, I needed to know what these things were, but what I couldn't see on them, and I, I had to look at the smaller ones for this, ones that are roughly the size of suitcases stacked up, and I could see the top of one because the stacks weren't too high. I was looking for any sort of latch, handles, and there was nothing. There wasn't even a, a, a lid. It just was a, a box, a crate, um, 
seemed to have no opening. I had no idea what they were. And I walked a little bit down this path, and I never, when I say I walked, I'm talking to like, kept my sort of my, my, myself to the right side, like I did in the tunnel, feel and see these boxes. And I probably walked for five minutes in one direction, had could never saw the end of this thing, and was more paranoid at this moment than I ever was in the tunnel because the door from where I had entered, it disappeared almost immediately once I turned my light away from it. So, you know, 10 feet into there, I couldn't see the doors because there's no light coming from the tunnels. So I was really paranoid that I, well, what if I get lost in this area? That actually could be trouble. It's not, it's not a point A to point B, a straight line the way that tunnel was. So I was getting nervous about that, but I was just too curious about what this area was. And I finally decided to sort of get back in those crates a little bit towards the smaller ones and just try and lift one, to try and pry one open with my hands. I wasn't going to break into them. The first thing I noticed was that they're cool to the touch. And I mean cooler than the outside of the room temperature, much cooler. They weren't cold, but the longer I laid my hand on it, the more I was like, this is, feels like this has some sort of source that would keep it this cool. What is keeping them this cool? And it didn't, you know, if you put your hand on something, let's say a, a cold water bottle, eventually that water bottle, the heat is going to transfer to that water bottle at a slow rate, depending on how cold it is in the, in the surface area. But you're going to heat up that water bottle enough to where it sort of gets to the same temperature as your body. It didn't do that. The longer I kept my hands on them, it just stayed the same the same temperature, which is an odd physics chemical reaction. Things don't work that way, really, unless you can't transfer enough heat, right? So a block of ice, you're not going to heat up that block of ice with your hand. And it was like that. I tried to go ahead and lift one of these smaller ones up and just didn't budge it. And when I say I didn't budge, I mean, I pushed on it, I pulled on it, I sort of tried to lift it from the bottom, just didn't budge it. I mean, these things weighed, I, I mean, literally probably weighed a ton. And that was the smaller ones. I, I wouldn't doubt the larger ones, the ones that were, some of them as large as a dining room table, large dining room table or so, maybe as, even as large as like a small living room. I mean, who knows? Those things could have been 10 tons for all I know, 20 tons. I, I was getting creeped out pretty quickly. So after I explored it for 15-ish minutes or so, I crept my way back out of there and closed the door behind me and then walked, you know, this time, of course, I'm going the opposite direction. So I put my left shoulder to the wall, my left hand, and just walked back. I never saw any floodlights on the ground, which that is unusual. Like the rest of it sort of made sense for how tunnels are built and what might be going on, uh, transportation. But why wouldn't there be floodlights? I got the sense that this place had been built quite a while ago, but that didn't explain why there weren't floodlights. And I still don't have an explanation for that. So I, I get back out there, and I climb back up. I put the manhole back in place, and I set up 
my tent, I actually went down about a quarter of a mile away because I didn't want to be too close to that area. I just wasn't sure if anybody ever came over there. And the next day came, I, you know, did my thing, I left, and I kept thinking about, like, what was this place? Why was the security the way it is? And to back up a little bit, you can't get in there from a public area. From where I was, the boundary to this large area was, the shortest boundary from where I was was probably 30 miles to a fence. And on the other side of that fence, which is public land, no road was there for about another 20 miles. So you would have to, to even get to the fence you were, day, you, were, you were camping. And then once you get to the fence, it's federal land, there's signs, no trespassing, you know, fine of whatever it is, $10,000 and two years in jail or something like that. So it's, it's protected. But I did find that unusual. Like, was this manhole abandoned? Is, and the first thing I thought was that it was supposed to have been sealed after the completion of this tunnel. But the tunnel was built, like a lot of this, these stations, was built during the Cold War, World War II. And it just never got sealed. That they had been using this for workers coming in and out of that area. There had been an old road there. And for whatever reason, no one ever sealed it up. Well, I decided I had to go back. So a few weeks later, I, I went back. And I knew exactly where it was. And when I got back there, there was a large fence. I know I was in the same area because I had mapped it on my GPS. And the fence was not a normal fence the way you might just see on some of these properties um, at the very back, it's just a tall fence. This was one of those with the, the razor wire at the top. And it was, it encompassed probably, I would estimate 40 square meters or something like that. So it wasn't just around the manhole. Um, in fact, I couldn't see the manhole from the fence. Razor wire with signs, you know, federal property, the penalties and whatnot. There was no gate to it. So I immediately knew that that was not a coincidence. However, I don't know how they saw me. And if it came from that camera, there's no indication of, of electricity there or, you know, some sort of closed circuit television thing. Maybe there was a, a loading area in which that equipment was set up and running but I get the feeling that there was some other way in which they tracked me there. I never got a phone call about it. In fact, when I saw that, that fence, I walked way back. I walked probably roughly, I think, five miles back and, and risked being in the dark some because I just wanted it out of there. I did not want this to be a problem. Uh, camped, and the next morning went back to the research station. I never got a phone call about it. No one ever came and saw me or anything. I know emails. And either they never recognized me 
The other alternative is sheer coincidence, which I don't believe that. The third thing is that they they just didn't want to have to deal with whatever it was they would have to deal with by confronting me. And again, though, I've got clearance, so I didn't really, so I didn't break and enter or anything like that. I wasn't really worried about it simply because I have a ranking that's higher than anyone else that's going to go out there for the most part. Being inside that warehouse was not a good idea. That could have actually got me in trouble. And I've only had this discussion very recently with one other colleague. I kept it to myself. And he is like me, just we're scientists or engineers. We're just intensely interested in this type of stuff. Wants to go and see it. But of course, we can't actually go down there now. The thing is, though, is that that tunnel had to come out somewhere from the southern end, obviously. I've never seen anything indicating a tunnel, a gated entrance, sealed off entrance, nothing like that. Of course, the area is huge and have no idea how long that tunnel was, a you know, completed tunnel. I walked one way for roughly a half a mile. Was it another half mile the other way? Was it two miles, five miles? I don't know. My colleague and I want to go out there and see if we can just find the other end of this tunnel, see if it's sealed off, is it gated, is there a guard? I don't know if we're going to try and get back in there. That's sort of risky. The feeling I got in there was that they weren't ammunition boxes. They weren't, it wasn't artillery. That wouldn't make any sense for the way these boxes were created. There was no hand, you know, sensor there to so to open them only with a fingerprint or something. I didn't see anything like that. As ridiculous as this sounds, if you remember the old cartoon, Transformers cartoon from the 80s, the Autobots and the Decepticons were always fighting over Energon, which were these cubes that gave them energy. That's what they actually look like, which is, I know it sounds ridiculous, and I'm not saying that's what they were, and that would be ridiculous, but because I have no, I have no context or no, nothing to compare them to, some sort of solid silvery substance that, with no um, enter point, no exit point, no handles, um, I just don't, I don't know how else to describe them, it's super heavy. And I want my co- I want to bring in my colleague in there who's you know who's going to offer a different perspective, simply because I want some sort of explanation as to what these things are. But as of now, I um, I can't even really guess, and I also don't understand the security of it. The only thing I can come up with is that manhole was supposed to be sealed, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if you got into that fence now, that manhole. I bet you anything it is now sealed off. One can't help but wonder, what is the military hiding? What mysterious element did John discover that seemed to be forgotten in time? And why did they go to such lengths to keep it secret? The tunnel that John discovered is a prime example of what the military is capable of doing. Even though many of these tunnels are still under complete lockdown, not all of them have been kept hidden 
from the public. A secret tunnel underneath a secret city. There have been rumors for decades about mysterious activity in a man-made cave hundreds of feet beneath Los Alamos. Well, the rumors are true. There is a tunnel. It's been whispered about for more than 60 years. They would keep gold in there. That's all I, I remember people saying. Something secret in the Los Alamos Canyon. I've heard about it, yes, but I don't heard know. about it. Just that it exists. There was a, a rumor that there was a, a train in here because when you were up on top, you could hear sort of uh, strange noises. The stories of what was buried in the canyon were endless. And unless you worked at the National Lab, it's remained one of the best kept secrets in New Mexico since the 1940s. The public has not been in this vault. There's been um, no media ever in this vault. Until now, our cameras were given the very first look inside the carved out canyon rock. We are going in about 230 feet. Some call it the invisible tunnel. Very few people knew it actually existed, even though it sits in the heart of the city. Today, a popular city landmark marks the spot. We're pretty much underneath the McDonald's parking lot. Right in the center of Los Alamos, hundreds of feet below ground. The tunnel was built just as the Cold War began. The year was 1948. The atomic bomb is very dangerous. Since it may be used against us, we must get ready for it. A history lesson today, but in the late 40s and 50s at the height of the Cold War, the threat of a nuclear strike was very much a reality. The entire town of Los Alamos was off limits back then. Visitors needed a government pass to enter and exit. And a lot of the 1950s buildings here in Los Alamos were designed with fallout shelters. The tunnel was built to serve as a safe haven in case of nuclear war. But in the meantime, lab scientists worked down here in secrecy, studying and developing new weapons like the hydrogen bomb. And this underground tunnel was the first place in the country to store the parts for those weapons. In the early, earliest years of the Cold War, they didn't have a facility for that. So this vault was built specifically for those pits. Los Alamos Canyon provided the perfect hiding place. Because of the of the, um, the cliffs that we have here, the volcanic tuff and, and, and the setup with the canyon walls. Plutonium pits and other weapons parts were flown into Albuquerque's Kirtland Air Force Base, then transported to Los Alamos and driven straight into the tunnel. It's a vault within a vault. The materials were stored in these five vaulted rooms. The federal government only recently declassified the tunnel because some of the old weapons parts remained in the vault as recently as last fall. Lab experts used them as teaching tools in the post-Cold War era. But Lanol historian Ellen McGee says the weapons parts kept here were so secret, they are still considered classified information today. No one could come down the canyon, so this was a top secret and very heavily guarded facility. The guards and weapons are now gone, and all that remains is an empty shell. But historians say the tunnel vault is still valuable for future generations. This tunnel in Los Alamos is roughly five hours north of White Sands Missile Range. But the tunnel itself proves that this type of tunneling system is not impossible to keep hidden from the public, even for 60 years. In this case, plutonium metal and nuclear technology were the main secrets they were hiding. Now, I'm not a scientist, clearly, 
And I'm not saying that plutonium is the mysterious metal that John found, but the fact remains that the military is clearly capable of successfully hiding large tunnels as well as keeping whatever may be kept in them completely secret. After looking into this topic more and more, one name kept popping up. A man by the name of Phil Schneider. Phil claimed to be a U.S. government geologist and engineer who was involved in the construction of multiple deep underground military bases. Some believe that Phil's testimony was full of wild conspiracies and fabrications, lacking facts and verifiable information. And honestly, I also can't help but question some of his theories regarding underground alien civilizations and the injuries he received from an underground firefight in Dulce, New Mexico. But regardless of that, Phil's insight on secretive military tunnels is enough to make you question what is actually happening beneath us. Right now, there are 131 active deep underground military bases in the United States. There's 1,477 of them worldwide. Each one has an average cost of 17 to 19 billion dollars. Each one is uh, built in the site. Uh, oh, it used to be it'd take a year to two years to build each one, and now they're capable of building a couple of them a year uh, with sophisticated methods. My colleague uh, Al Bielik has actually been on some of the high-speed railways, uh, the magneto-leviton trains that connect all the deep underground military bases within the United States. He's been on a Mach 2 train and floats off of, floats off of a single rail at a, a three quarters of an inch off the rail and is uh, what you'd call high tech. We have nothing like this on the surface. Groom Lake is where the infamous Area 51, S4, S2, a CIA base, uh, uh, it was originally a bombing range, a nuclear test site. Uh, it was later become the most secret base in the United States. Um, it employs over 18,000 workers who work in shifts of 12 hours a, at a whack. Most of them work in the cover of darkness, like us. We built out nine underground military bases there, each with an average uh, uh, capacity capable was basically a city underground, roughly four and a quarter cubic miles hollowed out underground. Now, boring machines, for instance, they don't bore. They literally vitrify and melt the rock, deflagrate the rock. It's a very sophisticated laser uh, uh, melting and deflagrating system. It reduces the rock to a powder and then melts the, the remaining rock as a coating on the inside of the base so you don't have to use gunite cements and other kinds of things like that. That's all the all old hat now. Uh, technology is just basically the new technology we get is the old hat of the military. I'm going to be real brief about it. I carried a level one security clearance, the Rylite 38 factor. There are very few of us. There's nobody except myself, to my knowledge, talking like this. Nobody. I'm breaking the law. I'm breaking world as well as federal law. I'm coming out and even talking about this to a group of people. 
I love my country more than I love my life. Area 51 is only one base, one of the 131 bases. Of these 131 bases, I call Area 51 a mega base. It's got more than one base in it. It's Tonopah Test Range, Area 51, S2, S4, Groom Lake, and a host of others. These mega bases are gobbling up our gross national product. Right now we're spending 28% of the gross national product on building underground bases solely. That doesn't count for the defense budget. That doesn't count for the spare parts budget. It doesn't count for any of that at all. And the black budget is dead, dead wrong. It sidesteps the United States Congress and its constitution of its people and says, you're a bunch of morons, you don't need to know. Now, I believe in military preparedness. I believe in military secrecy to some extent. The overview is about underground mountain bases. All of them should be made public. In future talks, I'll be giving latitudes and longitudes of every single one of these bases. I've already written a manuscript at the publisher as we speak. Phil not only claimed to be involved in these projects, but he also claimed that the government had attempted to assassinate him multiple times for releasing this information. The lecture you just heard was recorded at the Preparedness Expo in September of 1995. Bill Schneider was found dead four months later in January of 1996. The story he told may not seem plausible to everyone, but his death was highly suspicious. His cause of death was at first marked as unknown, even though he had a medical tube tied around his neck. There was no suicide note, and he was found in an odd position on the floor. It wasn't by hanging or anything that would keep the pressure on his throat. Also, the police claimed that they didn't find anything wrapped around his neck. But photos taken at the morgue clearly show a medical tube tied around his neck. The examiner took blood and urine samples but refused to test them, saying it would be a waste of time. Family protested and told him to do it anyway. Reluctantly, the two samples were sent in to an independent lab. And when the family asked for the results of the samples to see if he was drugged, no results could be found, and the samples had mysteriously gone missing. All of his research, notes, pictures, recordings, and lectures suddenly went missing from his house. And then, an obituary was posted in the local paper about Phil's death, claiming he died of natural causes, 
nobody in his immediate family wrote that obituary or gave permission to print it. Phil's story, whether fact or fiction, is a large rabbit hole that you're welcome to dive into. But it shouldn't take away from the fact that we know what our military and government are capable of. The underground tunnel that John discovered at White Sands Missile Range, with its mysterious metal-like substance, is just another example of a real tunnel that our government doesn't want us to know about. The things we fear are typically above the surface, while the world beneath our feet is almost completely unknown. It begs the question, what's truly beneath us? Thanks again for listening to Unnerved. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. It truly does help, and I really appreciate it. And if you guys want to see photos related to each episode, again, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Unnerved Podcast. Until next time, take care. Oh, 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 oh,